Well, we have, for some weeks, we have dealt with the kingdom or as it is in heaven, and really we're dealing with the, the thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've dealt with the idea of the kingdom of God coming into the earth. And as we, as we get into the kingdom of God, of course, in the scripture, there is a throne. And, and the picture of a throne is speaking of the rule, of the dominion, of the government of the Lord. So, so whenever we, we view a throne, we're viewing majesty, we're viewing dominion, we're viewing government. All of these words come into play. And, you, you know, the heavens declare his majesty. So, so we have this picture painted throughout the scripture that God rules, that God rules. And what we must ask, because if you go out and you look at the chaos in the earth, and this is what a lot of people will do, is they will say, well, where is the rule of God at? And of course, we've all probably been confronted with that question. If God is in control, you know, a lot of people say, well, God is in control. Well, if he is in control of everything, why are, is there so much chaos? Okay. And I don't know that we will answer this tonight, but that question is, is just there. If God is in control, why is there so much chaos? And what does the kingdom of God apply to? Does it apply to all the earth? Does it apply to all those that are his? And these are, these are questions we as believers and spirit-filled believers as believers who are hearing and seeing by the spirit of god must answer and must know by the spirit of god what what is your proclamation lord and and just in in a type and shadow a couple of thoughts that are coming to my mind the first one is the children of israel the children of Israel was God's people in the Old Covenant. And as God's people, God's dominion was in that people to be displayed or manifest in the earth. So God's dominion was in Israel to be manifest in the earth. That was, that was the picture given in the Israelites, that God's throne was among them, that his dominion would then come out of them into the earth. And then you have the picture of King Solomon and the kingdoms of the world 
what was it, the Queen of Sheba? Was that is that right? The kingdoms of the world coming to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And and we and we will have to answer is that God's design? Is that God's mind? Is that God's thought? And accept what is his thought. What what the tragedy in Christianity a lot of times is not that we can't get people to believe like we believe, but we but people don't want to accept God's thought. And I believe if if we could get a people to that place that as ministers and many people on this uh, broadcast are are in the ministry and uh, and we're all ministers of the kingdom, everyone here. It's a kingdom of priests. And if we would get that point across that that it's not my will, as we talked about last week, but thy will to be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and as we said last week, praying God's will to be done is not as simple as saying, hey, do I write this check for this car or do I not? Because that's what we've we've come up in our mind that, that this is God's will that we have a situation in our life. And don't get me wrong, I think God will direct us in every situation in our in our life. So I'm not telling you He won't, but we have this idea in our mind that well, this is God's will. Is it God's will that I get a car, or you you know a better car or a lesser car or so forth? And many times. You know, we we pray, God, your will be done about some situation like a car without comprehending his will. And just for a moment, I want to read you what we read last week in Ephesians 1 because it's important for us to understand it that. His will is gathered up into the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we find his will at. And he says, really, it's in himself, verse 7, Ephesians 1, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he have abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will. And here it is, the mystery of his will. And, and this, this answers the question back in uh, Psalms, uh, what is man in your mind toward him? Here's the mystery of God's will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, 
both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In whom we have obtained an inheritance, being a predestinated according to the purpose, and, and, and consider this, the purpose of him, the purpose he purposed in himself, the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory. And to be to the praise of his glory, we would have to know what his glory is. If I don't know his glory, how can I be to the praise of his glory? Brother Stanley said something many times in, in our local congregation and probably amongst most of us that are here. He, would, he, he made a comment, something like, my, out of the scripture, my soul doth bless the Lord. And he made a comment, how does my soul bless you? How do I bless the Lord? You know, because we're always talking about the Lord blessing us. So how do I bless God? How do I be a praise of the Lord's glory? How, how is that possible? Well, it's possible by understanding his covenant. It's possible by him living in us. That's how it's possible. If I don't understand him living in me, that he lives in me, and then understand and walk according to the covenant that he cut in the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then we'll probably be a poor manifestation of the Lord in the earth. Not that the Lord's poor. The Lord's full of riches. He's full of wealth. He's full of greatness. But we'll walk less than what God has called us into. And this is what our relationship with the Lord is about, is affecting our walk. It affects us. So we have to get caught up into the relationship with the Lord. As I... As I uh, said all this stuff, I was, you, you know, I, I, it just occurred to me, here's how I segue to where I wanted to go. And where I wanted to go was in the book of Exodus. And we've read this the last, probably the last couple of weeks. And, and, but tonight I want to highlight Exodus 25 and verse 21 through 22 says, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony. 
of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So you have the Ark of the Covenant and the word of the testimony in the Ark. And God seated upon, above that ark with the two witnesses looking, beholding the Lord. Witnesses of the testimony, two cherubim. So here's how God communed with Israel. So he didn't just meet with Israel anyway. And if Israel tried to meet with him out of order, they faced death. They faced death. We we see that with what the sons of Aaron with with the with the the high priest during the time of Samuel that their consequence of not being in order was was death. And I and I believe if we can hear that, that's where in the death of the cross, where the death of the cross comes in there, is we don't approach God any way we want. We don't come to him and get a hold of him any way we think we should. And, and and that saying Jesus has, I am the way, truth, and the life, is a much deeper statement than we may understand. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father or approaches God but by me. See, the approach of God, and this is where this mercy seat comes in here in the Old Covenant. This was Israel's approachment of God. Three times a year, they met in the feast, gathered around the temple, and gathered around God in the mercy seat. And one time a year, the high priest entered in on the Day of Atonement and offered for the sins and the errors of the people. So they were in a continual relationship with God, revolving around the temple, around the presence of the Lord. So God was in their midst. But he was in their midst according to the testimony. According to the covenant that was given. That's how he was in their midst. And he was in their midst really no other way. Now we have come to a greater covenant to a greater throne to a greater seat of mercy that's what we've come to 
And we read, we read last week and maybe last couple weeks that God was enthroned between the cherubim over the mercy seat. So this was his government, his dominion, his rule in Israel was according to the word that he gave. That was his rule, his government. The word that he had given by Moses. We've been given a word, folks. And in that word we have been given is God's divine government. And in that word is how God relates to you and I. That's it. He relates to you and I according to the word that he has given. And the word that he has given is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, Paul declares that word in written, I guess, testimony. But that word has to be revealed in our hearts. That is the word of covenant. The word of covenant, just like Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not. So what Jesus said, walking in the earth, was going into force. Just one of the, one of the most simple statements to get a hold of that. When Jesus was walking on the earth and speaking as a man, he said, he that believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That went into force after his death, burial, and resurrection. After the covenant was cut, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So the words that he spoke are brought to us by the Holy Spirit. And those words show us Christ. That's what they do. They show him to us. They reveal him. That's our covenant. And that's how God relates to us. God relates to us according to the word of God in Christ. That's, that's, his, that's how he communes with us. So he that believeth on me shall not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life is a communion that God has according to the government, the throne, the reign, the rule of God that is in the earth today. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. Is this covenant. This is what he did. 
And this thing, uh, a couple years ago, I guess, maybe give or take, just become off the page that here's Jesus speaking in John 17, as it's recorded in John 17, that they may be one, as we are one. I am them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect or complete in one. And I'm reading that, studying, really in a study of heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not. And I look at Paul's writings, and all at once I see through the Spirit, that Paul is writing of the oneness of God in Christ, in the church, over and over and over again through his epistles. And, this, and it just hit me. Well, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said this. What he said is what's established. That's the word of covenant that he cut. And that word of covenant, you know, he declared it, but that word of covenant is, is the manifestation of Christ himself. Because we don't know what being one is until he's revealed. We don't even understand that statement. You know, we read that statement. But the unity begins to form in us as he is formed in us. Because he's the substance of the statement. Because the words were spirit and life. And he's the spirit and life of the words that he spoke. Glory to God. So he brings the substance of what he said and declared. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, I could read that a thousand times. But if I never experienced rivers of living water out of my bellies or out of my belly, I wouldn't understand what it meant. And that experience of that life-given water is experiencing Christ himself. Is experiencing our union. That we're one. That, that this covenant that he has cut through his death, burial, and resurrection is the government that God's governing with in the church that's his government the increase of his government shall be no end so so the increase of of what jesus has done has no end his words are not going away that's what, what he said in Matthew 24. My word shall not go away. Heaven and earth shall go away, but my word shall not. My words are not. And then, then you see a picture in the book of Revelation of an angel flying 
in the heaven declaring the eternal everlasting gospel everlasting good news of our union in christ of our oneness with the lord man that's good news you're talking about good news you are one with the lord he is one with you he's not ashamed to call you brethren he's not ashamed to just take you to himself i will be a god to them i will take them god, god said in old covenant israel i'm gonna take them out to myself and he did he took them out of egypt and we've looked at this for weeks and he brought them to himself in jerusalem but my lord he was speaking of of this relationship we have in christ today where we don't walk up to a temple and the glory of the lord is veiled away in the temple and we can see the cloud going in there we can see the fire on top of it no the cloud the presence is in us and the fire is in us so the glory of the lord came on the day of pentecost to indwell his house and you know so some of the things i've read and and seen through the years god just expands them you know uh and i and i probably said this to you but i'm going to say it to you again he he passed or went by or however it worked the old temple when god's glory filled the 120 on the day of pentecost when the holy ghost come and filled the house the old temple was still there but he didn't go back there because his glory had departed from that temple the glory of the lord had left that temple jesus told him and as recorded in matthew 23 now your house is left you desolate because he was the glory and he walked out of it and when he walked out of it i believe it was never to return again because the new covenant was built upon greater promises that god wouldn't build a, another house in the earth but he would fulfill what he said where is the house that you built me where is the place of my rest unto this man will i look and in this man this man's going to gather up all men to me this man he was looking to was going to gather it all up to him just like we're reading in ephesians 1. that in the dispensations of the fullness of times he would gather together all in christ so christ 
did what at the cross? If I be lifted up from there, I will draw all men to me. There's the man he looked for. Unto this man will I look. Here's the place of my rest. This man. And in Christ, we're one new man. We're the place of God's rest. We're the habitation of the Lord. This is what I believe. The scripture declares David was a man after God's heart. And, and I've read that, you know, through the years. And one day it just kind of comes before me. What's that mean? He's a man after God's heart. Okay, he loved the Lord. He danced before the Lord. He did all these wonderful things. You can read all these wonderful things of King David. Slaying Goliath, bringing the children of Israel out to himself. But where his heart was is when he was building his house, he says, God dwells in a tent. I'm going to build a house for the Lord. Because God's heart was a house. God's heart was a dwelling place. God's heart was to dwell in you and I. And God's heart was to share everything he is with us. That was his heart. So when we start looking at ruling and reigning and dominion, and I, and I had expected to go further down this road, and I'm going to take about another handful of minutes and just speak to you and then open things up. How does he rule? How does he reign? What's his dominion? Every bit of that is according to the person of Jesus Christ. That's why in Revelation 5, you find the lamb in the midst of the throne. The resurrected lamb, as he had been slain, standing, speaking that he's not dead. I am he that liveth and was dead. So all the government, all the dominion is according to the Lamb. And Jesus said of his dominion, of his kingdom, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So the first order in, in getting a glimpse of the Lord's kingdom is, it's not of this world. And one, one thing to consider in that, the world's kingdom can give you rules and regulations. We could, we could use, you know, uh, environmental regulations. And the world's kingdom can give you a rule that you conform, and that was the word I was trying to get out conform you conform to the rule 
and it can conform you to all kinds of rules. That's what the law even did. It conformed you. But it could not transform you. Could not change your heart. His kingdom can change your heart. Change your mind. Hallelujah. So his kingdom's not of the world. It's not like the world. A greater than Solomon is here. And then when you get into the question, how does he reign? What does his cross reign over? Death? Hell? That's, you, you know, death and the grave. So everything associated with death in Adam, Jesus reigns over it. And Apostle Paul writes that we shall reign in life. We shall reign in life. In life. And that word life is again associated with the Lord Jesus. He says, I am the life. So we reign in the life that he is, and the life that he is has power and authority over the hell, the death, the destruction that was in the natural man. And we manifest that to the earth. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And that's the type and shadow and picture that was in Israel that they received this word, this law. And through this law, they were showing God's government to the earth. We have a greater law. We have a greater word. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the word of this covenant. And we're manifesting to the earth what he says you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God so we're we're to manifest what he says in his person you know it's not just that it comes out of his mouth but this word is in his this word is his person the word was with God and the word was God so the very person of Christ is the Word. So his nature is dead to sin and alive to God. It's in his very nature, his very character, who he is, who he is. And that's the heart of God, that we be one as he is one. And the answer is how that's accomplished is he's in us. I and them, thou and me, that they be made perfect in one. And the Holy Spirit taking all he is and revealing it. 
That's the word of the covenant we have. All he is. All he is. Hallelujah. And that's what we have to do with, deal with, to, to be about. It's what he is. Anyway, I could go on and on. I'm going to stop. Um, and I hardly got in well, to where I wanted to go, but we'll stop here so we can have some discussion. All righty.